0: The reason we're here now, which I can't fucking believe it, dude, is that Hellacious Acres is 30 years old this year. Yeah. Can you fucking believe that?
1: Um. Well, yeah, I can, but but it doesn't. It, you know, I'm not gonna say it felt like it was yesterday. Because, <laughs> uh, the, the the state of the world at the moment is so strange that, you know, it's just uh. I I think that I've learned a lot about, uh, you know, hell, writing songs uh, about produce about production. We were still fairly green when you know our our second record, uh, came out. You know, which is the record in question, Hellacious Acres, and um, you know, I don't think that I would change anything. But it was uh, I'll just I'll just jump in uh, if you don't mind heard was uh the band felt and i should really speak for myself but Mm -hmm. i think that i can uh speak for most of us that hellacious acres was kind of half cooked um by way that we were pulled off the road from the first tour scenario we're out on tour supporting the cult
0: yes i remember that tour
1: sonic temple tour right and with bonham yeah, so that's uh like January, February, March of 1990. Yep. Um we started that tour New Year's Eve at Long Beach Arena and I
0: was at uh, the Atlanta show. Yeah, at the Omni.
1: Yeah, that's right. The Omni. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that uh that show was the last show we did before there was a break and mm-hmm. and just a little bit of side information was, I think that they wanted us to come back and rejoin the tour, but we asked for more money and they, oh, and they got total poor instead. The deal was is I don't think that we ultimately would have been able to do it because here, here's what happened is we were not arguing, but there was uh, a little bit of back and forth with our label. Um, uh, they wanted uh, us to fulfill an agreement, and that that means go home and r- write and record a new record. Mm-hmm. And we were, and Mike, I, I'm, I'm we're talking to the label through management, and I'm and I'm it was mostly over the phone stuff. I was like, "Well, are we still selling units?" And manager was like, "Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, how we doing on merchandise out front? You know, at at the shows? Oh, yeah, pretty good." yeah you're doing good, so you're telling me that as a company, our numbers are good, and we're doing good, so that means that the label, their company, is doing good mm-hmm. uh because they're getting a cut of almost everything we're doing, mm-hmm. and uh you want us to 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 shut down our lemonade stand and go home. And stop bringing you money in right that's what what we're saying we want you to stop what you're doing even though y'all are badass we want you to stop because we want you to you know they felt like there was a window closing and that we were going to miss it in hindsight and this is no one's going to like hearing this okay this is this is kind of i shouldn't be saying this i would have been fine if they would have let us have our way, I would have been fine with milking the ever loving crap out of the first record and staying out with the cult and then maybe picking something else up and then letting it die on the vine with a, with a, with more clubs, theaters and clubs or whatever. I really would have, but yeah. because you know what was, and that would have put us to the end of at least 1990 and then our, and then our second record, which, Probably would not have been called Hellacious Acres. Who knows what it would? Maybe it would have been pissed, right? Record pissed the third mm-hmm. record. We don't know, cause that didn't happen, right? So, just so everybody knows, I I feel like I, I can speak for the band when I say we would have been fine with staying out there, in the trenches, and raising hell, trying to you know, uh, make more nickels. You know, for ourselves as well as the label just by milking that debut toys record. You know, teasing pleasing into ninety one. But uh it didn't happen that way because uh we had signed a seven album deal, which we only ended up fulfilling two of those those albums for Columbia. oh uh-huh. you know, you can blame it on a bunch of different things. I'm not throwing rocks at all, but um you, you know for a band to have, sign a 7 album deal and then and then your your deal go belly up because they don't like the songs that you're writing only because of the climate you know it was I'm not blaming it on uh Kurt Cobain or Eddie Vedder or right. I'm not blaming it on anybody but you know the the trend had changed you know when the tr- when the wind blows the dollar bill somewhere else I'm not the one going to jump up and chase it I'm not going to buy a new wardrobe. I'm not going to change. I'm still wearing my Twisted Sister shirt. I'm not changing anything. And neither I... is Twisted Sister, and neither is Motorhead, and neither is Iron Maiden, and neither is Judas Priest. You see what I'm saying? So, yeah. Yeah. You write the songs that you write. You don't, you don't pull, you know, it, you keep going with what you do. And if someone else, you know, you don't follow the trend. You try <clears throat> you try not to. Everyone ends up following the trend a little bit, but uh-huh. you try not to. So, But Hellicious Acres did happen, obviously. Uh, and I think that what I was saying a minute ago, there's about half the record is, uh, I feel like, is good. And uh-huh. they, it sounds like, you know, good, strong, finished, dangerous toys material. And those songs are... Um, not in any order uh angel and you give Mm -hmm. me no lip gunfighter sugar leather in the nail Mm -hmm. best of friends line them up Mm -hmm. uh you know there might be one more on there that that i really think is you know a good dangerous toy song but there's there's a bunch of other things on there like on top and bad guy don i can't even think of the rest of the record Terrible.
0: Well, I'm going to help you out with that because that's one of the things I wanted to do is kind of go okay. a little yeah, let's go song let's, into song. But yeah, that's good. Let's talk about it. But okay. I kind of like what you were talking about before was that, you know, with, with that first album's tour. So I remember. So the first time I saw you guys was when you guys did the uh, it was the Dangerous Toys Junkyard tour. And you guys were playing at the old Roxy Theater here in Atlanta. And then I didn't see you again until uh, the cult tour. So I remember you guys did those two tours. And I also remember you were on the LA guns tour tour club tour as well. Now we picked that up right after the junkyard. Okay. That's what I thought because there was kind of like a space in between. I remember, cause I don't think that tour came to Atlanta or if it did, no, I-, I,
1: don't, I don't think it did it. Uh, so the junkyard thing, uh, started in the midwest i think and went through mm-hmm. the south and we were in florida for like a week and we did of course that means we're going to atlanta and then mm-hmm. um it started working its way back west and we got to uh uh tempe arizona mm-hmm. phoenix area and then it ended there and then i think we took a little break uh maybe a month or so. And then we started up in Austin at the Austin opera house with LA guns. Okay. And that went to like Thanksgiving at the Palladium in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And then we went to Europe with faster Pussycat. Yes. And and then we started new year's Eve with the cult and that would put us into back in Atlanta, Mm
0: uh,
1: like early April, I believe.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was about that. Yeah.
1: March, early April, something like that. Um, and then, and then that was when they were like, you, you guys owe us a record. So here we are thinking about a record by the way, um, not to jump too far ahead, but we already had gimme no lip. We that's gimme no lip was what I would consider the oldest song on hellacious acres okay because we were playing versions of that sometimes on the road. Sometimes we do <clears throat> like a headlining one off show from the support we were do- giving you know, on a, on a, on a tour,
0: mm-hmm.
1: we would do a one-off somewhere. Sometimes we'd play Gimme No Lip. Right. And um, I think that was the first song we wrote with Danny Aaron. And the second one would be with, because uh, Danny didn't play on the first record. Pictures on there, but yeah, mm-hmm. that's another story. And so then uh, Angel and You, we wrote at Soundchecks, uh, you know, while we were out with the Cult. Mm-hmm. And then uh, pretty much the rest of it was written in the garage in Texas.
0: Yeah, because that's what I was going to ask was because uh, you read my mind so much. We got this thing going on, man. Yeah, but that, like, yeah. You know, because, like I said, with the three tours that you had going on on the floor, actually, you know, you talked about you have you had give me no lip pretty much already. You know, you wrote uh, did you say Angel and you. Is that right. the one? OK, yeah. So the other ones were then written pretty much befl- like off the road. Right. Yeah. So was, was that a significant amount of pressure as far as composing and writing the songs? Because the, you know, it's that whole, that whole tale about, you know, you've got all your life to make your first album, but then like from there, you know, unless you have a complete huge pot of songs that you got to carry over to your second record, you know, your first record has been written for years, you know, but then that second record is the one that's going to be like, you know
1: yeah um you know those were the two songs we ended up when 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 we landed on our feet so to speak back, back home we had those two songs working already um but you know i remember line them up uh that main riff i wrote that main riff and that uh verse section is uh-huh. scott you know the tenant that happened <laughs> that's me and uh and then i think me and scott wrote that chorus <laughs> right yeah. dangerous toys song the breakdown had line em up has like four or five parts in it it's crazy the uh solo section was taken from a song called Pick Up the Pieces that's a, on an old tim, uh, old demo. And I think the average white band has a song called, called Pick Up Pieces. <laughs> you know that song? Who would have thought we were going to talk about average white <laughs> band? <Yeah. laughs> that song's called Pick Up the Pieces. It's an instrumental by the average white band. I right. Who does that song? And I love that song, but I I didn't realize I had stolen the title till later. It's like, oh yeah, I forgot all about. But pick up the pieces. Dangerous toys song never it never surfaced anyway. So it might have been published, but I don't think we ever recorded the song uh, on a record. Pie- pieces we were we were finding pieces that we could use for old demos of songs that didn't make the re- first record. Trying to see if we could we could salvage any of them, and uh, that was one for line them up. Um, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead.
0: No, 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 actually it's so funny because you were right on the trajectory I was trying to go to because you know that th- that was also kind of the next question was talking about like extra material left over from the first album, what carried over, and whatnot. But like you said, you pretty much wrote them, but yeah, before going into the studio for to you know to record and you also had roy roy thomas baker that's right producing and i mean that dude's got a fucking incredible you know your resume you know i mean yeah well
1: every every rocker has uh has probably if you have a, a huge collection you've got you've probably got 30 titles that have his name on it
0: I was actually surprised to hear he actually produced a um, a band called Gasoline. It was like a Swedish rock band, and they they're killer. All their shit's in Swedish, of course. They don't sing in English. Though. He
1: he's produced a lot of things <clears throat> that that probably people don't know. Whether it be before he had any tenor, or you know, he just he was out. He you know just takes gigs. He takes gigs that he likes, and he takes oh. gigs that that uh, you know he knows he's going to make some dough on.
0: Well, so when he worked with you guys for Hellacious Acres, obviously, you know, uh, even from my own personal experience with with being in a band and being in a studio or whatever, that sometimes you have this, you know, producers can sometimes be, you know, perfect to work with, working with you, and sometimes they can be overly hands-on to, you know, to a fault, you know. So did he carry any kind of like like an overhand on you guys that sometimes felt a little stifling or was he were you guys pretty much like left to your devices
1: well um on one hand you know the the first record we worked with max norman he produced uh-huh. a some song called crazy train by some guy named ozzy you know Never i heard of anything any. about that but obscure <laughs> um, And max was just awesome when we were huge fans of max already for obvious reasons and uh but we didn't realize that you know that we what we were going to learn uh from max mm-hmm. and I feel like we took what we <clears throat> what we learned from max about about songwriting um example uh tease and pleasing when you have the sort of like uh sort of like uh, saloon burlesque you know mm-hmm. down 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 oh does the, that kind of shuffle going you know yeah, well it's kind of like the may west come on up and see me sometime you know the saloon burlesque when they did uh when, when when we wrote that song uh and that part comes into the tune uh there was no vocals there and max was like well press play what's going on right here it's like oh man it's the breakdowns cool like you know sleazy riff right here and they're like yeah there's a giant hole y'all i know y'all are doing these little you know bass harmonics and little you know caveman drum fill and little you know whammy things and whatever during the riff this is prime real estate for you to sing something right here and i'm like no we can't do what are you talking we're so used to and proud of you know because I'll I'll tell you the truth. I think teasing, pleasing got us. For those listener people listening, it's teasing, pleasing we're talking about, duh, yeah. right? So, our managers and others uh, along the way had been fluffing us up the whole time, going teasing's a hit, teasing's the reason you're here. So teasing, pleasing is going to be your first single. We've been being told that since day one. It's going to open your record. We're like, yeah, we don't care. We're just having fun playing rock and roll. Whatever you I, say, yeah. you know. I, I can hear teasing, and please and open the record. Sure, no problem. It wasn't any argument, but when but we we're in the studio and Max is going, yeah, there's a big hole right here. You need to be singing some shit. Mm-hmm. I wrote the lyrics to that breakdown in the car on the way to the <laughs> studio. That's amazing. Because he was calling me out. He's like, tomorrow you're going to sing some shit on here. I'm like, what? Yeah, that, so I was like writing lyrics in the back seat of the car on a McDonald's napkin. You oh, damn, I forgot to write words, you know. <laughs> and I'm realizing Max is going to have my hide, you know. Mm. So, yeah, I just sang what I wrote on a napkin, and it stuck, mm-hmm. and that was it. So, But, but you know, and also uh, Tin Boots, the the little breakdown, the again, the breakdown, na 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 the halftime bit in the middle yeah. there. mm-hmm. I, there wasn't any vocals on that either, and there also there there was uh there was no halftime drums. Mark was going you know like Ramones. Do he was doing, we were doing Ramones kind of punk thing there, huh? and uh, you know j- to break up the song. Max was like, you need to do something different with that. That that section's just kind of like thrown in there, right. Well so it's little things like that. Sorry to be long winded on that. So we learned about just kind of I love that. Flushing out stuff and, uh-huh. and tightening up things and making sure the song uh you know made 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 more sense than you might you know, you're always proud of your new songs and they may not be cooked yet, you know. Uh-huh. So well it's funny because yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh no 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 go ahead, go ahead. I was just gonna say so by the time that we're trying to write songs for the second record you know i feel like there was a lot of that uh you know learn we got that that learning curve we sort of like uh you know got from max we had started to figure it out Mm -hmm. um so we learned a lot and you're always learning stuff in this business and as a songwriter you know it's you know, if you think about it too much, you're, you're, the songs just become pretentious. And yeah. and that's a different kind of music than what we were trying to do with, especially with, with a second Dangerous Toys record. Right. What does a second Dangerous Toys record sound like? Mm-hmm. Well, if you're lucky, it sounds a lot like the first one. <laughs> <laughs> lucky, the new band that, you know, I mean, we were only a band. I mean, officially, uh, those guys had worked together for a couple of years, but I was I, I was the new guy. I was in the band six months before we got a freaking record deal. So right. that's a whole nother story. It was just weird. I mean, these guys were my new friends. You know right. I'd only written a handful of songs with these guys. And then, oh shit, we got a deal, we got to write more. Damn, Scared wasn't even written. 10 Boots and Scared were unfinished by the time we got to LA. Wow. They were not finished.
0: That, so, yeah. So you carry over so much of what you learn, you know, yeah. from that first album over to the second one. And it's funny because I made some notes about the songs on the album and on uh, Hellacious Acres. And one of the things I kind of, you know, and again, this might just be the dork in me over reading things. Cause that's what music dorks like you and me do. Yeah. Um, I, I, in some ways, in some places I found what I felt like was a connection from uh, like some of the newer songs on Hellacious Acres to the first. out. So like, like I always thought like, give me no lip was like the wife that you, you were fooling around with in teasing and pleasing. Do you know what I mean? Like it almost kind of felt sequel esque, you know? Yeah, I was, I, 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 was that intended. Uh,
1: no, but I like the the sort of like movie script you're writing there. You're connecting things that people don't really see because it's. By no means any concept record will ever be written by the members of Dangerous Toys as Dangerous Toys.
0: Although that'd be pretty amazing.
1: <laughs> well, it, would, it would just be a cross between, you know, Sopranos and some terrible soft core porn, or something. <laughs> uh, you know, with starring, uh, you know, Jim Florentine and uh, you know, oh, I don't know, Andrew Dice Clay or something. <laughs> uh, so. <laughs> because of the era right the uh we were all about andrew dice clay on the bus you know on tour we'd walk around you know hickory dickory doc you know all <laughs> yeah, exactly you know i always it was an, a no-brainer for me uh to just go well you know uh, sportin' Woody's fun, and it's got that shuffle, <laughs> and it's kind of a butt shaker, and it's a groovy, mm-hmm. it's fun, and it's cute, and it's cheeky, and it's about cocks, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and and whatever. And then and then when you think about Gimme Your no Lip, that's just part two of that. Mm-hmm. Like the groove is the same, and so that became one of our. I feel like that was. For whatever reason, we just felt like we did that. I feel like as a, as a band, uh-huh. we learned a lot about that groove by, you know, everybody just wanting to hear Sport a Woody all the time. And right. it became kind of an underground fan favorite. You know, like, it, I think it was released as a single and they, well, I know that it was, but we just didn't make a video of it because uh-huh. it's about Cox. So. <laughs>
0: Well, see, now you've totally mind fucked me because now this could have been a trilogy. It could have been like "Sporting a Woody Teasing, Please and Give Me No Lip." Yeah, so, see, and- I think you need to run with this, man.
1: So, "Teasing, Pleasing and Pleasein Lyrics" were were written by Tim Trembley, who was uh, a founding member of the band. Mm-hmm. Didn't record with the band, and uh, Tim also wrote "Outlaw," and then, um, the. So, you know, I, and, and then Gimme No Lip was written by Mike. So they're kind of Mike Watson, based. Yeah. They're kind of coming from, you know, these, these two different minds who are, uh, not, not really talking about the same thing. They're, you know, right, they're, right. when you're, when you're 20 years old or whatever and you're, you're writing about, you know, a boy meets girl, as I like to say, it mm-hmm. kind of turns it, it turns it into, uh, something sim, you know kind of obvious um and uh you know kind of i don't know you end up talking about girls and it's sex drugs and rock and roll when you're that young you, really, you don't really care about anything else exactly <laughs> if there's if there's if i don't have to be responsible uh uh i'm in you know <laughs> kind of a kind of a shitty really <laughs> shitty attitude but, but
0: again when you're when you're twenty something like yeah, you know you're pretty much thinking with your crotch the whole time yeah, anyway.
1: well and you're and you're a little bit vain as well you want it, you know it's me 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 all the time you know it's not it's not really all for one one for all i mean there is that a little bit you know right right to an extent, but you know it's you learn you learn a lot uh about yourself uh by getting old. You know, Richard Pryor used to say, "You don't, uh, you don't get old being dumb." That's you don't pretty. Get <laughs> don't get old being dumb. You better learn some shit.
0: You know, there's a, there's a certain wisdom that yeah. comes with getting old, you know, which I always think
1: is like, if be, yeah, if you want to be around for a while, don't get, don't be dumb.
0: Yeah, or if you're gonna be dumb, be young and dumb, but don't make the same dumb mistakes over and over again. You know, right. like it's that whole, that, that whole cliche about, you know, you learn from your mistakes, you know, even though sometimes it might take two or three mistakes of the same, but, right. you know, I mean, yeah, I'm going to be 48 this year. So it's like, you know, I haven't got this far from being dumb all the no, way no. through. Okay. I did some stupid shit, but.
1: There was once a time when you and I stepped in dog shit every day. Oh, yeah. And then eventually we were like, on we should probably purpose. walk around that. Yeah, exactly. On, on purpose. <laughs> We, we stepped in dog shit, but Like we didn't give it. We didn't give a shit. So we just stepped right in that thing. Yeah, fuck this. That's what I do. I step in dog shit.
0: Yeah. And then I'm going to track it into the, to my parents' house. I don't care.
1: <laughs> you, know? you, learn, you learn, you learn, you know, the metaphor is beautiful in this. So.
0: Oh, it totally is. Well, so the next song that kind of came in was uh, gunfighter, which was fucking, uh, that's a great song. I always loved that one. And again, I kind of looked, I kind of tossed that back to outlaw a little bit, you know, kind of had that same kind of um, the whole kind of metaphorical, you know, being a outlaw for rock and roll, you know, meets like legitimate outlaw. Yeah, And it still
1: had the, it still had the boy meets girl story to broken hearts and, you know, not, not being being promiscuous and you know the whole like I don't give a shit cuz I'm a gunfighter but you know I I'm looking for love I I want I want to be loved and cared about but I I I'm not smart enough to 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 think hindsight about what I'm probably going to do you know I'm I'm I'm, a, I'm an outlaw you know uh-huh. you don't you don't want to mess around with me but you know it's kind of the you learn, you're learning a lot about that whole love story kind of a thing. And I think that that always makes for a good drama and, uh, you know, bro- broken hearts are what, uh, what opera is about. And, right. uh, and rock and roll is all about drama. It's it heavy metal is such an opera, you know? And oh, it totally think, is. It's like, the, really think about yeah. that. It's very Shakespearean and, uh, you know, I remember my
0: dad reading the lyrics on, on, on like on the insert of master of puppets. Yeah. And like, I remember him like going through the songs and just like reading these lyrics. And before he even heard the album, like, you know, it was obviously a way too heavy for him to actually, you know, enjoy. But I remember him reading those lyrics and just being like, these guys have so much to say. And they're saying it in such a way, my dad was like, I could read this like and totally appreciate it just for the value of what is written lyrically. And I've always put that, you know, to metal in general, whether it be cheeky and funny or cheeky and kind of sleazy or you know, epic, like Maiden and, you know, you had the epicness of Maiden, which was very literary. Then you had like the kind of, you know, fantasy world, which was Dio. And then, and then you kind of had like the sleazy underbelly, which was, you know, dangerous toys and guns and roses and bands like that, you know? And then you even had that kind of shock thing, which is like, you know, like Wasp, which basically, you know, was trying to be like a cross between Alice Cooper and whatnot, but eventually kind of lost that direction as they right. went on. When you but, think about,
1: yeah. when you think about. I'm sorry to interrupt, but no, 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 you're, no. You're making me like jump, jump, jump into your uh, your world here with you're speaking about. When I when I think about all of the or a lot of the elements that you just brought up and and using uh, other artists as examples, mm-hmm. I think of like Van Halen as like the party band that's, you know, kind of similar to the sleaze thing you're talking about right. and all that and, mm. uh, Motley Crue or whatever, but even Aerosmith too. Um, oh, I yeah. Aerosmith was a little more clever than everybody else when they're talking about boy meets girl. Um, I think that, um, kiss is a big player in like the, the fantasy thing, but yes, also the boy meets girl they kind of were because they had the kabuki monster mm-hmm. you know, superhero vibe but they're still talking about everything that you're that that you know there's a little bit of do and there's a whole lot of uh you know sleaze going right on. and so i think that you know once again they're like a gateway band and and also a little bit uh wasp i think blackie was really good at mixing all of that up and i really like uh what he does with lyrics i think blind <laughs> in texas is a bit dumb but you know it's a, yeah. you know he's talking about being on tour and i get that uh-huh you know it's a, it's like a it's his version of huey lewis harder rock and roll still beaten where he's mentioning all the cities you know and he's honking uh-huh. and shit.
0: Well, and that kind of goes back to what you and I were talking about, about that kind of cheeky way of, you know, storytelling, you know, in a sense, because, again, it's like if you read it, it's almost kind of slapstick, yeah. you know, like, yeah. like in my mind, like when I'm watching that, I'm like, good God, this could be a Monty Python skit if you really threw it to the Brits, you know, yeah. but, you know, and that's to me, that was what I always dug about you guys was that the songs were so well played there. There was like, there was this musicianship, but like you weren't trying to be something that you weren't. It's almost like dangerous toys like worked just outside of their limitations. But like, and I mean that in a good way, like, you know, like you didn't compartmentalize yourself into this area where you're like, we're not going to stretch out, but you, you also didn't try to go. So terribly far outside of your bubble, no. you know what I mean? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, back to Gunfighter, and, and then and then moving forward after that, Gunfighter was sort of an extension of of uh, you know I may have I don't think it was even intentional at the time, but of Outlaw and outlaw mm-hmm. out, uh, I didn't write the lyrics for Outlaw, but I feel like the the Tin Boots thing and the the Texas thing and the outlaw thing, uh got more operatic in my storyline, but they were all there and it was just uh it was just I knew it was something that we were gonna gonna write about uh whenever we cont would continue to write. It would it would, there would be a little bit of that going on, you know. It it you know, later on other records saw different faces of that, but but it was it was it was similar. What else you got?
0: Let's see. So sticks and stones. Which was like that is to me that's Twisted Sister. Stick some stones, may break my bones, but rock and roll will never hurt me. Like that is to me that was like when I heard. I even remember hearing that like when the album came out and thinking like, man, this is like th- like such a like an anthemic kind of like kiss kind of song, but it still had that dangerous toys swing to it, you know. And um, but the thing that also kind of caught me off, you know, at least it it was so relevant at the time was, you know, it was very kind of like this anti-censorship and listening to it. Now you would almost think like, Oh man, that might be kind of a dated topic, but it isn't, it's absolutely not. So like when you guys were writing that song, is this something you thought like, God, 30 years from now, this is still going to be a fucking issue. Or was there kind of like a vision that you guys were like, you know, maybe with the help of bands like us, we'll wipe this out.
1: I think it was a little bit, uh, off the coattails of, um, the PMRC thing. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, it was just kind of a cheeky little cheesy, but that's okay. Uh, you know, because it's an old saying, you know, sticks and stones will break my bones, but Mm -hmm. hurt me. Right. So, you know being made fun of as a as a rocker kid uh who you know if you're the kid i was the kid wearing a ki- a different kiss t-shirt every day to school so yeah uh and that's that's where it was going it's it's mm-hmm. pretty much black and white that's straight up where that song is going and um in my band broken teeth i i used that i flew that flag a lot in uh, some broken teeth songs. more hardcore um um you know with with the uh words and and titles but it it's saying the same thing because i feel like uh you know if you are obsessed with something mm-hmm. that makes you feel alive that is your thing and rock and roll was my thing um And then you're just out in public and someone who lives under a completely different rule than you, different roof, different parents, different beliefs. Right. And they're basically throwing rocks at you because you're different than they're allowed to be Uh under their roof. Right? Right. Yeah. So, so I have this theory that, and this is super common, Uh, that just, if I have long hair and I'm wearing a rock and roll t-shirt and I'm in a public place and then you see, um, someone with a haircut, there's wearing a shirt with no logos on it with a collar and khaki pants and whatever that looks more like, you know, there's, that's their uniform and I have my uniform. The thing is I picked out my uniform. (laughs) Exactly. Visual in a roundabout way, I'm, I'm, I'm an individual and they're not now that doesn't mean that they can't like rock and roll, but they're, they, they're not flying a flag and I'm not making fun of them for not flying a flag, Mm -hmm. but they're jealous or that's, I hate the word jealous, but maybe they're angry in a way that they're, they want to beat you up because you're different. They don't understand. Well, how come, you know, or they're pointing at you going, uh, they're on drugs. They're, uh, a transient. They're because I have long hair and it's like, you know, well, nope. I shower every day, wash my hair every day. Uh, these are clean clothes. Whoever is in controlling your your life, uh, like it's the difference between the, you know, some liberal maintenance and some not so liberal maintenance. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I felt like, you know, if you put them in, like when you're in high school, you know, you got the jocks and the freaks and I'll just keep it like that. Right. Yeah. Well, the jocks normally don't get along with the freaks because the freaks are, they they're free. They, they, they can, they, they're, they can express themselves constant. And then you got these other, you know, you got these other kids that are, that are being told while you're living under my roof, you're going to wear these clothes. Uh, if you if you, you know, you're going to try out for the football team. And if you don't, I'm going to take your five hundred dollar a week allowance away. That's
0: I, just, <laughs> I know what you mean.
1: <laughs> and I, see what I mean, is like and, and if, yeah. you, if you uh, you know, if you're going to be on the football team, you're going to be the quarterback. It's like saying if you join the army, you're going to be the general. And if you're uh-huh. not the general, I will disown you. There, there's all this pressure in their life. So you know what? They're the kids, and I'm not, I'm trying to not really judge, but they're usually the kids you got to watch out for. They're the ones that have a bag of cocaine. They're the kids that are driving BMWs into brick walls on purpose and not thinking anything about it and not even getting in trouble because their parents think they're angels. And it's guys like me and you who are lower middle class more than likely mm-hmm. um, that don't you know we're just we're free we're free and they don't like that what a lot of the lyrics end up end up being about and that's a that's the uh, the little guy fighting back for freedom all the time. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Well, there was always this level of kind of like what you said is like nonconformists, you know, like we did not have to, you know, like I remember my dad basically, you know, especially when I was at Catholic school, not so much when I went to public high school because it was a little more, you know, common to find like three other guys that had band T-shirts and jeans that people would just not associate with. Those are the people I look for. You know, now when I was in Catholic school, and you would go to, I don't know, go on a field trip or something, and you know that was a big deal because you got to wear whatever you wanted. And of course, I'd want to wear my twisted sister shirt with D. Snyder's face huge on the front, you know, and my Kmart jeans and my Kmart tennis shoes, and my dad basically being like, you know, he's like, just so you know, I'm totally fine with you dressing like this. He goes, but. I just want you to know that if you go to a field trip like this, you're going to be made fun of and probably get your ass kicked. And I was like, I don't care. And my dad was like, all right, then like that's, you know, so I was lucky in the sense that even though I didn't have a great relationship with my folks is that they just let me be me Yeah. and know that I had to deal with the consequences of it, you know? And so I feel like people like you and I also, when we were younger, like you said, with the whole, stereotype of like oh they do drugs this, that and the other it's almost like i purposely fought to break that stereotype so i didn't do drugs when i was you know in, in you know in, well i still don't do drugs i smoke pot but that's a whole nother story sure. but well, do you know yeah. what i mean like i didn't i didn't do those things i didn't go to parties i didn't get drunk you know and i didn't do any of these things because yeah. i wanted to be that that kid that people had this stereotype about that I could be like, no, no, man. Like, you know, I participate in literature class and I do pretty well on my tests and I'm, I read and I I'm smart, but I also play hard rock music and listen to heavy metal and wear my big old ugly, dangerous toys shirt, you know, sporting a Woody written real big on the back, you know, cause my teachers were too stupid to know what a Woody was. You know, <laughs> I, mean, I, re- I remember yeah. wearing that shirt at home, and my mom looked at the back and she said, "Sport and a Woody." She says, "What is that?" And my dad just looked at me and said, "Don't, don't, just don't, don't even, don't. just yeah. don't, don't." And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> you know, but well, it's
1: not—it's not mom's fault that she didn't understand that even women can sport a Woody.
0: I. <laughs> Th- that now that is a whole other podcast that goes back to the whole like um concept album i think that you and i are going to work on
1: you know so <laughs> i wanted to show this photograph uh, we were talking sticks and stones <clears throat> on uh on the record if you read the credits on sticks and stones we had this what we ended up calling the waste of skin choir mm-hmm. i remember this and it was made up of uh, members of Rhino Bucket and Salty Dog and Junkyard and <clears throat> and Johnny Crash and and just people that we had befriended in, in, L- in Los Angeles during our uh, recording times or working times there. <laughs> and um, this photo, I don't remember who took it. I don't remember who, <clears throat> who blew it up and sent to me, but it was someone who was there at the studio. But this is the Waste of Skin Choir. This is us preparing to sing that giant chorus. This is me right here drinking a beer. Well, I don't drink beer <laughs> I mean of course, I drank beer, but i don't it wasn't known to be seen you know me swigging I'm caught in mid swig right there so and also this is this is would have been uh this would have been in nineteen late ninety early ninety one but, uh, it's, uh, it's me and Scott and then Michael Hannon from Salty Dog, uh, Vicky James Wright from Johnny Crash. And then, uh, there's, I'm sorry I didn't, don't remember this guy's name, but he was a guy that worked at some clubs in Hollywood. Uh-huh. And then Greg Fiddleman, who produces Metallica and Slipknot, who played guitar, who played lead guitar in Rhino Bucket. And then George from Rhino Bucket. And then, uh, Andy, who played bass in a bunch of L.A. bands. He was in Johnny Crash at the time. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Mitch from TSOL, and then Chris Gates from then. Then he's a founding member of Junkyard, and then uh, David Roach from Junkyard, Brian Baker, who's in Bad Religion, but...
0: He was in Junkyard at the time, yeah. Yeah,
1: That's right, that's right. And then Danny Aaron and... uh, they're you know the all those guys are smoking cigarettes in the studio (laughs) which is not that's not i mean in the 70s and in the 80s that was like normal almost it was almost like a recording studio like the whole idea of law went out (laughs) like people walked into a studio they felt like they were walking into like this is our clubhouse. We can do whatever we want because we're paying so much goddamn money by the hour here. It was like <laughs> crazy times is on.
0: Oh yeah, if I'm gonna swig a beer while I'm cutting this background vocal, goddamn it, I'm gonna do it, man. Well, <laughs> I'm for this, it wasn't,
1: it wasn't work. And the thing is, it is good to be relaxed in the studio.
0: So oh yeah, yeah. So I mean couple of the other songs too, going into it we like one of the things I love is a uh, sugar leather in the nail and on top. Okay. So on top kind of starts off in this kind of a slow kind of chunk kind of thing, you know, but then it like gradually worked its way up into a certain tempo that was kind of locked in for the rest of the song. Like was that, a purpose thing, or was that like because I've always wanted to know about that? Like, was oh, that because oh, of oh, like
1: tell you the truth right now? We were trying to to write another tease and pleasing. You know how tease and pleasing has like three or four time changes, uh huh. On top, starts with uh-huh. and it goes for a while,
0: and, um, and it kind of uh-huh. kicks and then it kind of starts to kind of rise.
1: And then after that second chorus, it stops. Uh-huh. And there's then there's just like teasing, please, and it, boom. But then <laughs> it goes shuffle beat, like like kind of like sporting a Woody too. So it's right between Woody and teasing, and it comes, believe it or not, it, it does stop and come back down to that intro riff, It actually ends with that slow sleazy riff. But um, <clears throat> yeah, we were just trying to, you know, marry a few things that were what we thought you know we what we thought we we as a band uh had committed to mm-hmm. to have some consistency because we were still learning you know i'll say it we were still learning how to write songs right so, well so funny. i loved
0: like with sugar leather and the nail like one of the things I, when i was making my notes the other night i was just kind of writing stuff down and what the way i described sugar leather and the nail was it sounds delightfully painful like yeah that was so, a very indulgent kind of time period too of you know rock and roll and yeah. being on the road and women you know and like yeah. so was that kind of written from like a specific like experience or is that more of just like a kind of like a tongue-in-cheek of like um, what was going on
1: yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna go back to on top for a, <clears throat> for a moment so on, on top is I'm sort of trying to be clever lyrically with the idea <clears throat> that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm being not, I'm not being very clever at all saying she likes it <laughs> on top That woman never stop. You know, when there's just like when, you know, boy and girl are going at it, you know, that's all I'm trying to paint here. You know, it's horrible. <laughs> right. So. But I'm I'm being I'm being rhymy and cheeky the whole time. But I'm also tying it into, oh, she she works at a ranch. She rides horses, because I'm talking about Tennessee Valley and and you know, I'm talking about horseback or something somewhere. <laughs> and so you know, I'm trying to get it away enough to where you're still thinking, you know, she likes to ride horses. That's what it is, <laughs> you know. And then um, in Tijuana. So anyway, so uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so. Uh, but I said Tennessee. I meant Tijuana. So That's amazing. So, so. And then uh, uh, what was the other song? Sugar. Sugar leather nail. Yeah. Yeah, I have to be honest about that. Um, that title, I almost stole from a a dear friend of mine who had a band called carrion it's a metal band like a proggy metal band and he he had a title that i can't remember what the title was but it was something something and the nail Mm -hmm. it was kind of like you know the witch and the wardrobe and the monkey or whatever right so it was I but I like the and the nail it makes you go and the nail because the words don't kind of didn't go together. Yeah. But when you think about <clears throat> sugar is sweet and then leather oh that's getting a little that's not so sweet and okay. it's a, it's tough. Yeah. And then the nail you're like holy crap what is this going to be about right right. So <clears throat> I kind of stole. The idea of that, you know, da da da, and the nail from a friend of yeah. mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I, I think I told him that I stole it. Maybe not, but he never busted me on it. He, you know, simpatico, care for each other. He says, hey man, you stole my song title, you know. <laughs> but it wasn't that, and this has basically ended up being. I just started. I had the title first, mm-hmm. and. uh I wrote the main riff for that tune. Danny Aaron wrote most of the riffs for "On Top." By the way, um, uh, and and Sugar Leather Nail ended up just being about a dominatrix.
0: Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. it's
1: more it's more about a little bit of uh, pain and pain meets pleasure. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Cougar hurts so good.
0: Yeah. yeah, so one of the songs I I forgot. So to go back just a couple of tracks was uh, Mike Watson's best of friends.
1: Yes.
0: Now, one of the things that I love about that particular song is that your vocal delivery. um, Actually, before I even knew that he wrote that song to me, I was like, my God, I was like, God, yeah, Jason really wrote a great song with that (laughs) because musically and vocally, you sound so connected to that song that it could have been yours. Now, I think when I think back on it now, not really thinking a whole lot about it because I didn't really love the song as I was younger. But now that I'm older, I look back on it. I'm like, man, we all, especially at our age now, like we've all had that friend. Yeah. You know, so is that kind of what helped you connect to that song was kind of knowing that this is kind of a universal emotion.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a whole lot of truth to the lyric. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mike actually had a friend that, you know, he lost connection with just because you know you you move away, you your childhood friend, you you know, he's like buddies forever, and then you move away, and you know, shit happens. It's yeah, grow up, you Mm drift apart. It's n normal part of life whether you you know and then maybe you go back and visit sometime, and it's like the last twenty years didn't even exist but right uh it's it's the old story about how you know Mike moved away, and then later on he you know he heard that his buddy had passed away that he hadn't seen in a long, long, long time, so. Mm-hmm. There is a little bit of truth to it. It's embellished in the verses, you know, playing pirates in the schoolyard. But everyone can relate to, you know, playing Darth Vader in the schoolyard or whatever. You know, it's the same. It's the same thing. Uh, So it's interesting that, you know, every once in a while, Dangerous Toys will have a moment that's real and not just about fucking.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or just about cocks in general. <laughs> right, right. I mean,
1: I mean, you know, we 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 walk around knowing that we're just a bunch of dicks, but at the same time, you know, dicks are people too.
0: <laughs> dicks can feel
1: right, dicks. right. So, and, and you know, we we do have a lot of uh, credibility. Uh, not tooting my own horn here, we're we're not dicks, and we we do care and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but writing, writing the, the sleazy rock, the dirty rock and roll song is, was something that we felt like we were getting pretty good at. And then every once in a while, one of us would show up with, you know, something that was a little more, uh, something that someone could feel other than copping a feel, right?
0: (laughs) Feel with your heart, not with your hands. (laughs) Right,
1: right, 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 right. And in, in in something that would almost be, dare I say transcendent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like uh feels like a hammer on the first record, a lot of people connected with that. Oh, right? absolutely. It's just a broken heart, right? So then um you know, this got a little more real because it was dealing with an old friend that had passed away and and uh you know, definitely real. And uh that's a popular song on the record. Mm-hmm. And uh, um you know i appreciate the compliments about uh you know you being surprised that it that i didn't write the lyric mm-hmm. uh uh but i you know when i sing don i i try to sing into your soul mhm i'm not worried about who wrote the lyric i'm trying to sing the song the way the song needs to be sung
0: and that's a that's a true art form of any musician you know like it's almost like that whole concept of like a cover, you know what I mean? Like when a band does a cover, they can do one of two things. They can do it note for note or they can turn it into something their own to the point where you won't even know yeah. that they didn't write it, you know? And so
1: well whether when I when I do a cover song and I I do covers quite often actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, when I do a cover song, I really try to do a great job at sort of like uh, holding on to their strings, mm-hmm. try to get it as close as I can, especially if I'm connected to the song, especially if the song means something to me.
0: When I was thinking about best of friends, I was kind of going through my head and trying to think of that kind of like you said, that that, that kind of universal uh topic of that and uh there was a kind of a there was like a power pop band out of uh la in the 90s called jellyfish yeah and they had a a great band and they had a song called too much too little too late that kind of is that kind of same thing and there's this line in the song where he says you know whatever happened to the musketeers of chesterfield's tobacco swords with smoky shields and i was like to me that was kind of like that you know, playing pirates in the schoolyard, you know, and kind of that, that thing that kind of to kind of go back to you, it does, it's, it, it, it is transcendent because yeah. it leaves the um the expectations of a genre, you right. know, and it becomes a universal thing, you know, so.
1: Yeah. It doesn't, it, it you, you, I, I feel like it is important who's up there performing, singing the song. The songs mm-hmm. don't sing themselves, but at the same time, it doesn't matter when you hear that because you're taken away. So the fact that we're talking about dangerous toys, this cock rock slash metal band from Texas, who on the surface look like they don't give a shit about anything. And we just had that conversation <laughs> about transcending, you know, about hair and 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 where it's like we're you know we've levitated into another uh uh you know shadow of love and out the universe and each other uh is pretty that's pretty death defying you know it's uh it doesn't really a lot of people might not unless they're a fan they wouldn't know that the toys had that you know at least on every record we put out so mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, those are Best of Friends is a great tune. And um, you know, that's one of the ones that sort of made my my cut. Leave it to me, dude,
0: to connect Dangerous Toys to Power Pop, Jellyfish and
1: uh Imperial Drag, which had members of Jellyfish in yes. it. Yes. I, I worship that Imperial Drag record. That uh that song that was the single, I think, it just didn't do anything. They made some videos and stuff. Uh, are you a boy or a girl? Mm-hmm. It sounds like The Sweet and Alice Cooper and old David Bowie and like Queen and T-Rex had a baby.
0: It's like nothing that sucks, you know, like, right. like everything is awesome.
1: Right. People who know how to write <laughs> these sort of like creepy balladeering transcendent had a baby and and, and it is imperial drag. They just nailed that shit
0: and it blows me away because I feel like they the, like Imperial drag and jellyfish were bands that were behind yet ahead.
1: Yeah. Oh, definitely.
0: times. Yeah. Oh, Matter of fact, I heard somebody the other day, like praising Greta Van fleet, you know, talking about, I was like, I was like, go listen to that first kingdom come record. <laughs> <I was> like. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. There's some good, there's some good uh, things about Greta Van fleet that I will, you know, help them hold that flag up mm-hmm. but um you know i think that a younger generation hearing that uh will love that in the way that my generation loves rhino bucket
0: oh yeah see to me rhino bucket was was like that kind of bond scott era acdc obviously man they talk about that first kingdom come record i remember they used to call him kingdom clone because they right. sound like, but I was just like, yeah. man, you go listen to that record now. There's not a bad fucking song on that record, man, you know, but like
1: that was what we oh, had. I love the hit. I love Get It On. That shit oh was rocking, man. That
0: ballad, you know, look at us, man, dorking yeah. out. We're not even talking yeah, yeah, about yeah. Dangerous yeah. Toys anymore. Right. That's Tell fun. me about this Angel and you has one of the best fucking outros to a song, man like that song is so sleazy, and then all of a sudden it morphs into this kind of like yeah. it's
1: a, it's it's yeah it's almost like that uh, the 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 uppity it changes tempo at the turnaround and we use that as an outro and it turns into uh just a four four straight you know it just turns into a uh, it it changes tempo and then the riff is the same the f- song is the same but it's played like ramones like you said it's played yeah. four on the floor and and straight uh i wouldn't call it fast or it's fast for dangerous toys right we're not fast
0: when I was writing my little my description, I'm reading here. It yeah. said, "It said first part of the song is a head nodder, then goes into a circle pit." Like I could totally just see you kind of nodding, and then all yeah. of a sudden, when it kicks in, just kind of going into like a mosh almost. You know, yeah. like
1: I think, I think that the way that we do it live is not as. Uh as energetic as it is on the record i mm-hmm. think that we do like a sleazier version even when it kicks in on the end it's kind of still <clears throat> a little bit the way we do it live yeah and it's always kind of been that way live um for, for, you know for whatever reason it's it's the same song but uh yeah it's real sleazy it's a sleazy song And it's, it's, I'm, I don't, I feel like I'm only clever because, uh, I'm saying angel and devil, right? (laughs) Not very clever at all. I can drink gasoline, uh, ain't too much that I ain't seen, uh, make a rabid dog seem so clean. You know, I'm, I'm basically running around with, uh, ideas of lyrics, previous dangerous toys song lyrics and sort of like. Telling the story, reminding you because they're you know, that dog is similar it's similar to what Angel and you is kinda talking about. So just just bad motherfuckers, bad seeds, bad attitude, uh gasoline would would basically look like uh you know, Jack Daniels with some ice cubes in it. You know, know, when you think about that's exactly what that was. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, what do you got in there? Gasoline? Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. What do you got in, what do you got in there? Ice cubes. Uh, will it make
0: you go fast? Not really. <laughs> no. no <I'm> not going <laughs> it's the total opposite.
1: I'm not going fast. It kind of fit with the whole, um, you know, bringing out the angel in you brings out the devil in me, I thought was clever enough for the song. And you're just build. I'm building on that about how I'm a bad boy and I'm looking for you.
0: Yeah. What about feel like making love? Like to me, like I was never. I know it's probably weird. I'm probably gonna catch shit from this from people, but I was never a big Bad Company fan. But everyone knows that song. Like everybody, even like even if you never heard anything else by them, like you've heard that song on yeah. classic rock radio at one point or another. Yeah. Was that a choice by you guys to cover, or was that kind of something because? You know, we actually hear about labels kind of saying like,
1: "You should yeah. do this." You well, know, like where you're going with this? You're 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 being nice about. You know, Come on, you guys didn't pick that song, you know. And uh, those of you who are are saying that, you're kind of half right. What happened was is uh, we were messing around with that song, literally just jamming in the rehearsal room. Mm-hmm. And uh, Roy Thomas Baker was there, mm-hmm. and Danny was playing it, and I was singing it, and we were actually, you know, playing it in the in the the normal key mm-hmm. of the Bad Company version, and uh, you know because uh, it's it's like a tenor voice. It's not that sleazy, scratchy, high, you know, stuck pig voice that I use all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, uh, and, and, uh, you know, so it was, I was crooning, you know, getting my, you know, getting my croon voice happening, Paul Rogers. And, uh, uh-huh. and Roy heard it and he was listening deeply and really paying attention. And I, don't, I think Mark sat down and played like two bars of it and then got up to get a beer or something, you know. <laughs> We weren't paying. We weren't paying attention. We were just, you know, warming up or fucking right. around, or whatever. And Roy was like, "That's going to be on the record, mate." And I'm like, looking at Danny, and I'm looking at. I'm like, "What? I, I didn't. I was like, I didn't. I, I didn't think that he was serious at first. Mm-hmm. He had to talk us into it. And it was his, it was Roy's idea to move it up, uh, in pitch." Mm-hmm. So when it ra- when it got into the choruses, I was using the stuck pig voice. You were up there, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he wanted he wanted it to be cohesive with the rest of the record and the way that we wrote songs, which I thought, as a producer, is a genius thing because it actually sounded like a you know da- that's dangerous toys.
0: Well, that's what I was gonna say. Was it's consistent with the way that you are singing already. You know, cause even, even that, that lower register clear tone was, you know, very kind of similar to, uh wasn't that great? Very kind of similar, um, to Good grammar. Uh, best of friends, you know what I mean? Where yeah. you kind of have that, that kind of lower register, you know, yeah,
1: it's, uh, it's levitating into, uh, whether it be those two songs or other songs, when, uh-huh. when you start off, um, down here with your vibey voice by the time you get to the chorus you better be you know railing people so (laughs) that's kind of that's kind of what what dangerous toys did where there was uh tempo changes and things like that where your song is building and uh that uh, feel like making love cover is the it it's the same idea but moving it up in pitch to where by the time it got to the chorus i was Way up there. That yeah. that's what people had known me for. Anyway, it was it was a great idea. Instead of trying to just make the song be exactly like Bad Company, I gotta say I was a little butt hurt at first. I didn't I didn't understand his uh his suggestion. I was like, why would he want to make it higher? He wanted the he wanted it to sound like me. You know, right? He didn't want me to sound like Paul rogers
0: which goes back to that full circle that we were talking about earlier about taking a cover. And making it yours, you know,
1: real quick. Roy Thomas Baker produced Bad Company.
0: That's right. I have it right here on my list.
1: So also he 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 may have points on that song. No, Ah. no wonder he wanted us to cover it. Sorry, just a side joke.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Do you ever hear anything from Bad
1: Company in general? No, no, I wasn't looking. to. I, I didn't want to become depressed. If they would have come back, like, this is garbage, you know. I, and then, ironically, Paul joins Queen. You know, it's kind of weird. My note for Gypsy Black and Blue Valentine
0: is: I always thought this song should have been a single.
1: That was the plan. That song is written uh, uh, co-written by Jack Ponty, who wrote mm-hmm. "Hey Stupid." Yeah, with Alice Cooper. Didn't he do something with Kiss also? I think he wrote some stuff with Kiss and yeah. uh, Bon Jovi and uh they flew me and Mike Watson to out to Toms River, New Jersey, which is where Jack uh Ponty had his studio and um you know we had a good time and we had we had you know the riffs in our pocket and we had the you know ver- we had demo versions of the song and and we recreated those those demo versions out there. Mm -hmm. Um, and we, we wrote the lyrics together with Jack, uh, and kind of did, had an arrangement, uh, going by the time we left. And, and honestly, me and Mike were kind of looking at each other, not so much maybe while we were there, but like coming back on the plane home, like you digging this? No, not digging it. We weren't really digging the song. We weren't feeling the song. Right. <clears throat> Maybe we were a little stunned because uh, management and record label thought this was such a great idea for us to go out to New Jersey and write with this guy that was friends with Skid Row and Bon Jovi and Alice Cooper. And um, Adam Carolla came over to his house while we were in the front yard. Remember Adam Carolla? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Love line wow uh mtv is all i knew him from yeah he he's pushing a baby stroller on the sidewalk and we're standing in jack ponty's front yard in tom's river new jersey going it's fucking adam carolla pulling up here hey adam how's it going i want you to meet my friends and dangerous toys jason and mike and, and he was like oh yeah I, I i remember you guys i know you guys and it was like surreal kind of shit you know normal for tom's river new jersey i guess I guess uh, some or all the most of the Skid Row guys are actually from there. But it was a good experience and I think that the song is well written. I think it's a well written song. People love that song. Uh, I
0: really like it. I mean it's it, it's also one of those songs that oddly enough that I don't know that I liked it too much back in the day, but when I was revisiting this album for the podcast, I remember thinking like this is quite good, but I kind of got the impression that it was like an intentional um yeah you know, like an intentional thing well
1: the the I remember that the label and management had a little not like a fist fight or anything, but they had a little argument going about we spent that money on sending you guys out there to write that song, and he got money and and <laughs> You know, we we paid him to do that, and now he's got points on the record and all this shit, and and you guys don't want to use it as a single. What the f? You know they were a little a little pissy about it. I don't think that it was the end of the world for them be, because you know like you know some of their artists print money for them. So that wasn't us. We weren't printing money for them. But <clears throat> bon Jovi and everybody else was. Alice Cooper. Um, speaking of, I feel like that song, I mentioned Hey Stupid and that Jack was involved in the writing on Hey Stupid, uh-huh. uh, as well as uh, Desmond Child, right? which which we had written with Desmond on the first record with uh-huh. uh, Demon Bell for the Shocker soundtrack. Yes. And that was just a lyrical thing, me and Desmond Child on the phone together for hours hashing out this lyric. -hmm. But I love the lyrics. I love the how Demon Bell came out.
0: That's a great song. Yeah,
1: thing is, is we wrote the music. We had the music, and it was Max Norman was a a little bit involved, maybe with a couple of little things. But that arrangement was pretty much ours. And then, um, and I think Desmond had a cassette of of the the basic demo, you know, of that, uh, or the old because that song used to be called Demon Bell. Used to be called Dangerous Toys. That was the name of the song. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah. Uh I am the boy. I don't know where the dangerous toy. Uh, dun, 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 oh. Like
0: yeah, it's a little, little cheesy. I never but, put that t- together, though. That's, yeah.
1: It was It was cool. And then um, that ended up being another, you know, the chorus was written later kind of thing. The demon bell, demon bell. Um. Anyway. I feel like Gypsy Black and Blue Valentine could have been Alice Cooper on Hey Stupid. Gypsy Black and Blue Valentine, Valentine. <laughs> You know, like Alice Cooper Voice, yeah. You know, kind of thing. I could totally, totally have seen that. Yeah. He does that. he does that kind of vaudeville burlesque thing on a lot of his records, and that's part of his persona a little bit. The hat and the song and dance man, the top hat, the whole I feel like that song could have fit his vibe a little bit.
0: It absolutely would have, which yeah. is.
1: Yeah, what especially is- after Jack got a hold of it. Knew you we were Alice Cooper fans. He knew, you know, all mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about was Alice Cooper when I was there. So, you know, it was e- it was an easy relationship to have with him because mm-hmm. he had all these, uh, lack of a better term, trophies, right? So it was a good experience. I don't think. I mean, the song's never been played live. So uh-huh. that, should be, that should be a testimony as to how the band felt about it. Well, so
0: finally, like, the album concludes with you know Bad Guy, which my note for this was that it was a perfect album closer and that it actually reminded me of Hanoi Rocks. And that like, when I listened to it, I could actually hear Michael Monroe's voice singing that. Like, that was such a great song. If you've never thought about that, go back to that song and think Michael Monroe, because it really did kind of have this kind of like this kind of gritty, sleazy Hanoi Rocks kind of feel to it, which I think Hanoi Rocks was such a band that they even had kind of a silent influence on a lot of bands, because I think that, yeah, yeah, you know, like even bands that didn't try to, sound like hanoi kind of had a bit of that influence because they were so embedded into that
1: i think thing. that there's a lot of swedish rock and a lot of fin because they were from finland Hanoi, and and i think that there's a lot of that um you know scandinavian type sleaze rock that mm-hmm. uh is really strong and i think that hanoi rocks uh you know between hanoi rocks and crocus showed the world how to how to do it just a a little bit different Mm -hmm. Uh, and then you had Guns and Roses and then whatever you know everybody who was holding on to the coattails of Guns and Roses popularity that got a record deal hi how are you right (laughs) Uh, that 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 you know there's a lot of uh, a lot of that sort of like trickle down from uh, these the Swedish rock bands uh-huh. And it's, it's a, it's a thankless fact. Yeah. Like, thank you, Hanoi. Thank you, Michael Monroe for creating this army of, you know, if it wasn't for you, there may not be a guns and roses. There may not be a faster pussycat. There may not be. I mean, dangerous toys is a different animal. Um, we got lumped in with all of those bands because of the timing. Uh-huh. And a lot of people say that the toys, if we would have come out like four or five years earlier. -hmm. Around the time of the Dawkins, you know, yeah, that things would have been a little different. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I don't know, we, you know, how can you say you don't know? You don't have a crystal ball, you don't know, but a lot of pundits, a lot of like uh, journalists who, you know, Rolling Stone type writers and stuff, they were the ones that, you know, sort of gauged that, uh, you know, when they heard the first Toys record, man, this. This is good. It's in 1989, though. You know, 1986 or 87 needs this record.
0: See, I, I, I always thought the opposite. Like, I always thought, that, like, you know, Dangerous Toys, Tora Tora, um, uh, Junkyard, uh, God, even going into, like, Circus of Power, you know, bands like that. Like, like for the time that those albums came out, like, as a music fan, you know, I needed those records then because it was yeah,
1: I, I understand was that shady. by the way I, I need to interrupt and i know that you're it's it's kind of a special thing that you're saying and i i apologize for interrupting oh, your, no. Go ahead. Your emotional moment but <laughs> i feel like dangerous toys were uh more uh in line with the bands you mentioned circus right. power junkyard uh, uh raging slab <laughs> bucket and 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 things like that yeah. more so than they were with Faster Pussycat. L.A. Guns is kind of sort of like in between. They were sleazy, but they were kind of just a hard rock band. It didn't sound like Guns N' Roses. They didn't, you know. And you could say the same thing about Guns N' Roses, but I'm talking about like what sort of like trailed off. You know what I mean? That, okay, well, here's the Poisons and the Motley Crews. even though they're, they have their differences too, of course. But I think as far as what ended up being what I call the class of 89 Uh being lumped in with the sunset strip was not really something that it just happened by default because they didn't Uh know where else to put bands like junkyard and dangerous toys and circus power and rhino bucket. Uh So, but I'm glad that you feel like you needed, you need it, you know, that you loved those records when they came out Mm -hmm. And for you, it's not about climate or timing or weather or, you know, you it was like, yeah, you heard it. And you went, yes. And you connected right away as to where the person you were. And, you know, when the pundits feel like these records should have come out only only playing a numbers game, it would have it would have possibly been a lot bigger if it would have started earlier for these guys. Uh, because they can kind of see they're like the taste makers, you know. They can kind of tell. <laughs> start go, and I don't really understand how that. Where honestly, I really don't understand how yeah. that, how that works. How dare you be able to tell that I'm gonna be flipping burgers in five years? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's kind of shitty. You know, <laughs> At the same time. Uh, you know, it's important to know that. You can't listen to those guys who have the magic wands and the crystal balls uh, who write for Rolling Stone or whatever, you know, smelly, perfume-drenched, glossy, fake, hard rock magazine, mm-hmm. um, you know, telling you what, what's going to happen. The fact is y- you you needed it
0: well you know and it kind of goes back to this thing i said a while back and i think i told you this too is that there was something about you know when you're kind of a frumpy slightly overweight goofy looking kid with pimples and like long hair that doesn't look great and then you're you're looking at bands like skid row and poison and warrant you're like god these guys are just all pretty but then all of a sudden you see, and of course, no offense, but like you see dangerous toys and you see circuits of powered rhino bucket. You're like, OK, now I can look like that. That's yeah. doable to me. And that's that's a connection that I can like. I can relate to that because their jean jackets look dirty and their yeah. jeans look like they came from Kmart. They're not these like perfectly sequenced leather, white leather pants with fringe. You know what I mean? Like I was like, that's me
1: the money look right yeah exactly the money look right well it's kind of like um you know i'm not harping on cc C. deville but you know he had that uh, he had to put a lot of work into that look <laughs> you think about you know anybody in poison it's like you know it's all it's all flash it's all makeup and mirrors And so you're seeing it from a different, it's glamorized, no pun intended, going, oh, what a bummer. I'm never going to be able to look like that. And these guys, I love these guys. You know, it turns into that and you're, and you're at the self-loathing. You got to, you got to learn later that you are you and you're an individual and you, you know, but, but when you're young and impressionable by things that you like and it's coming out and then you're like there is a trend that we all as human beings will follow because we fall in love with that idea mm-hmm. and it's not our fault. You know, it's just that, no, it's what you're drawn to and everything. And then like, if you, if the music makes you feel free, that's the most important thing. So if you're looking at an album cover and you want to wear the costume, but you don't really care about what the music, how the music makes your heart beat faster or makes you cry and all that stuff. That's what's more important than what, than the, than the smoke and mirrors on the album cover and I think that you know that, uh-huh. but when you're young and impressionable and you want to have long hair and and cool clothes and whatever it's because you're you're at you're not you're not uh nine ten eleven anymore uh-huh. i i you know I work with kids a lot because I teach music right so I've seen young people. Like wear their pajamas to their lessons and to rehearsal. I call it pajamas, but it's board shorts and crops, right? <laughs> oh, I'd like to see the, Oh, it's nice of you to show up to your lesson all comfortable wearing your pajamas. Like these are not my pajamas. I go it could have fooled me. We'll be wearing the same shit tomorrow. And, and you know, I get this comor. Camarader- well, ten years later, after I've seen little Joe, Jack and Jill grow up, mm. soon as they start caring about clothes and hair. Uh it's completely different about how they react to music and, you know, the smoke and the lights and the mirrors and the the, 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 the starts to be important to them when they start to um, follow a trend as to where before when they're kind of innocent and they don't give a shit about what they look like. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's those, and it's different nowadays because of video games and everything is, you know, a spoiled brat this and press a button and you got it automatic and, you know, it's yeah you know, four-year-olds with telefo- with cell phones, you know, four-year-olds holding $2,000 cell phones in their hand. <laughs> watching Lord. videos. And, you know, I don't like even it. have that. It's a different human being that we're raising now. So <laughs> whenever I see a young person who really cares about their guitar and gets excited when they learn back in black, Mm -hmm. you know, they're not learning the new Billie Eilish song. Right. Yet, but whatever. So, you know what I mean? (laughs) I think that it's generational, but as soon as I, I, I see them, you know, as soon as they start caring about hair and clothes, you, it's either win or lose as far as like their influence or an older brother. Or the music their parents like and you know uh someone that age nowadays where where i am in my life it's like the parents are half my age
0: my wife's niece is 24 that fucking kills me that we are actually old enough to have a 24 year old kid you know i mean she's a great kid and everything but i look at that and i go yeah that's such a different world from where i was at her age you know whereas like at 24 i mean i did all my shopping in the you know the back of record stores and in yeah you know parking lots of concerts and (laughs) which i still do you know
1: Like, well it's a dear it's just a different it's a different world now and and you know uh i i just think that uh you know you you're you and i'm me and and we don't need to worry about anything else but you don't you don't know that when you're just look you're hungry and young and impressionable and you're looking at album covers to find out who you are. It's kind of a it can be a false hope and you can't let it be that till you feel free. So
0: Jason 30 years, man. And I have to tell you listening to this album again after being a while since I listened to it in full, I have to say I think it's a fucking great record. It, it's very complimentary much. of the first album.
1: Thank
0: you. I, I wish it got more cred and more love than it actually gets. But yeah. it, it, it's an album that, I mean, you know, when you guys did the Operation Rock and Roll tour, like I actually realized that almost everyone on that bill has an album right now that's 30 years old this year. Had, that's right. Yeah. He hey, stupid. You had uh, uh the, you had the Metal Church album, which you yeah, had Rest in, in Peace, guys. Mike. Yeah, you had Motorhead. You know, like yeah. all those bands had albums that are turning 30 this year. Pain, so like Painkiller, pain pain like, man, I think you're in good company, man.
1: Well, yeah, it was it was still a good year uh for rock and roll. And, you know, those those records we just mentioned were not the top selling records. Of ninety ninety one, um, but that's not what we're here to celebrate. You know, I have to. I want to leave you with this. Do You know who Paul Williams is?
0: Yeah, the old uh the songwriter, right? Uh, yeah, player old, songwriter. Yeah, yeah. In
1: one of the old uh, Planet of the Apes movies. Uh mm-hmm. huh. Um, he's he, about four foot tall. <laughs> yeah, he's a little guy. Uh, he might have been on Laugh In, like an old. Oh,
0: song. he was. Yeah. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. Ronan and
1: Martin's laughing. Yes. Yeah. The kind of spoofy Ruth Buzzy and all them. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Man, we're dating ourselves. So, anyway, do you remember the uh, movie A Star is Born with uh, Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson? Not the yeah. Lady Gaga version, but yeah. great movie, by the way. Uh, but the Chris Christopherson, Barbara Streisand 70s film, A Star is Born, Paul Williams wrote some songs for the soundtrack. Mm hmm. And because, you know, it's about a rock star, roughly, a a singer-songwriter guy, and then they fall in love, and they write songs, and you know the story. But uh, there's a song on the record written by Paul Williams called Hellacious Acres.
0: (laughs) That's amazing.
1: (laughs) And no one knows that. My manager knows that because he's the one that saw that title and said, How about this for an album title? And we said, oh, that's awesome. Without telling us that it was from from the 70s. (laughs) Then we find out later on that it was a song written by Paul Williams. And it's not a song that, you know, because the first thing I wanted to do is go listen to it to see if it would be worthy of a a cover. But it's just not at all. It's just too odd odd of a tune. It would be such a stretch. But yeah, I just wanted to leave you with that, as that's the history of that. And then, Hellacious Acres—the idea behind the cover art uh, by the master Tommy Pons—was um, Hellacious Acres does sound like a carnival. Oh, absolutely! See the guy in the top hat: "Welcome to Hellacious Acres." You know, kind which it of starts thing. off with, right? Which is the idea. We are trying to get the carnival vibe going on the, the uh, intro reel there uh, hit, uh, hit before we hit uh gunfighter some stuff, bro. Well so it's always awesome. Talking to you, man, I swear to
0: God, like I said, we're going to hang man. Definitely. Yeah. But so I guess I want to leave you with this is that 30 30th anniversary. Is there any plans for hopefully now that things are a little back to normal as far as playing out? Like, any plans for you guys to celebrate it? I know it's kind of common for bands to go out and do like, you know, an, an album in its entirety or something for an anniversary. Is that something that you guys have considered visiting or is it kind of like,
1: no, I think that, um, you know, just the idea of, uh, getting back on stage and we have started rehearsing again. So mm-hmm. it's slow going because of the, you know, what, you know, Oh so, yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a gig, uh, my first gig in years, I have tomorrow with uh, my band Igniter. Yes. It's local, uh, and that's fine. And then, you know, things are starting to get going again, but I'm concerned that, you know, people are getting sick again, too. So, starting to head backwards a little bit. Yeah. 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 And so we just have to be weary of that and, you know, that makes me not even want to have a merch table. You know, people come up touching everything and shit. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of, I'm made, not, I, I'm I not a germaphobe at all, but I'm telling you, it makes me not, not want to do that. Come well, in probably. and do my gig and, and, you know, wave at everyone. And then I'm probably out cause I'm trying to not touch anything.
0: Uh, I was and, just, yeah, I, you know. I was just talking to Jeff Keith from Tesla, who's a good friend of mine. And he was telling me that when they go out on the road, you know, they're supposed to be going out on the road in like October, November and whatever. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, we're not doing meet and greets. We're not doing anything. Yeah. Like, we're pretty much in a bubble. We're going to the stage and then going straight to the yeah. Like, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, that, really it's like-
1: that kind of thing, even on a local level for me. That's my plan. Uh, I um, am doing a show where I'm, uh, I'm fr- I don't am i know if you've heard about this. I'm fronting Dirty Looks. It's the Cool from the Wire lineup. It's, you know, it's Paul idell of course. Right, yeah. Jack, Jack Pyers and Gene Barnett
0: who was in lillian x
1: correct so it's the three you know other than henrik it's the three musketeers uh there you go from the lineup from *Cool*, from the wire and turn of the screw with me singing and david Beeson on second guitar david Beeson plays in broken teeth with me we're playing in <laughs> ellens grove pennsylvania on september 18th and Um, there's VIP package thing with, that has a meet and greet. So we're just making everybody wear a mask. You might sign some stuff, but you know, uh, distance.
0: Well, I'm glad you're keeping it safe, dude. And being smart about it.
1: Trying to to get back on the horse, but also raise awareness by, okay, we'll, we'll do a meet and greet, but you're going to wear this mask. Even if you're an anti-vaxxer, you're going to wear this mask. (laughs) Probably going to wear gloves when I, shake your hand or just totally yeah you don't know what i got either
0: (laughs) judging from the song titles man you really don't know
1: you really don't know it's i'm a mystery man
0: (laughs) jason man this is so awesome as always and like you've been on with me a few times and it's always a pleasure to talk to you and connect and uh man like well happy fucking anniversary
1: Thank you, Hellacious Acres rides again. This was fun. Yeah, it was great, man. Thanks for thanks for having me and uh I appreciate you staying in touch.